Hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast. This is Brandon, and you're listening to the Brandon Archer Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I believe this week is going to be an awesome week, and I believe every week's an awesome week, especially when you're spending it with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord. He takes moments of weightiness, sour moments, turns them into joy, gives us beauty for ashes, right? Gives us uh, joy for mourning. And he just turns our nights into day. And so we just thank you, God, for who you are, that when you walk into the room, God, you shift the atmosphere, you change the atmosphere and what man cannot do, what man cannot see, what man cannot grasp with his carnal mind and his fleshly being. God, you can give by the spirit. And God, we know that you're good and you're good all the time. And uh, Lord, we just invite you into our lives to be good, to be awesome, to be big. And we know, Lord, uh, even through hard times and depressing of the olive comes the oil from the pressing of the grape comes the, the wine the good stuff so we just thank you lord that when you press us it's because you're producing something good in us and the world wants to press us and and then the world response is what's ugly and bitter and gross and vile and uh, like they say the old saying you know if you squeeze something what's in it comes out of it and so we got to be ready when we're squeezed to let God out and not let the world out. If you're full of the world, then the world's going to come out. But if you're full of God, then he's coming out. And when he comes out, he, he shakes entire realms and cities. He shakes everything in our life for his goodness and his glory. Um, we thank you, God, for that. Amen. Well, today we're jumping right back into Acts plan is to get through the whole book and we are believe in acts 20 and paul just had a was just there was a riot the haters were trying to come in and get him arrested and get him persecuted and put him in jail and their desire was for him to be murdered and killed but it, it flipped around for his good and he was protected because i believe god wasn't done with him yet and there was a purpose still to fulfill on Paul's life. So we're going to start here in 20. It says, After the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples. And when he had encouraged them, he told them goodbye and set off to go to Macedonia. I love it, too, that here's Paul. You know, he, you know Paul has gone through a lot of stuff right he goes through a lot of hard times he's he's doing what god asked him to do he's doing what he feels the lord has called him to do but he's hit opposition he's hit some hard bumps in the road right and it's really from people right it's not nature it's not like <laughs> even though he's going to run into a situation where nature uh in a couple chapters here down the road he's going to hit a storm right but majority of his problems are because of people, because of people with stinking thinking, with different mindsets, with, with worldly viewpoints and worldly uh, ways of seeing life. 
and they bring persecution and accusation and ridicule against Paul. But even in that pressure and that, you know, you got to realize like when you're dealing with some of this stress and pressure of life or, or being challenged, that it put presses in on you. And when you're getting pressed in on, what comes out of you is either going to be God or it's going to be carnal. It's going to be you. It's going to be evil, right? There's no middle ground when pressure comes. But here we see Paul. And what does he do? He encourages the disciples. He gets around the people who could were discouraged, could have been downcast, could have been like, oh man, this was rough. Oh my gosh, this, I mean, this might not be worth it. But instead of like going, I can't believe it, and complaining and whining and, and getting all disgruntled and angry and bitter. No, he, what comes out of him is encouragement. He encourages them to keep going strong, to keep pushing on, to stay strong in the things of God, to don't let, don't let these things come in and choke out the life of the Holy Spirit. Because you know what? we Again, like I said this last week, but you can be like a hose. And when you allow the, the problems or the worries or the struggles of life or the cares of this, of this life come in, they can kink the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't move. It means we, he can't, he's not going to move because we don't allow him to because we're all kinked up. A little bit might come out, but for him to fully move through our lives and bless others and be a blessing, we got to open up and let God flow out. But if we're stuck up and we have all this worldly stuff and this, you know, attitudes and bitterness and strife and wrong views and, you know, just just a wrong mindset, then what happens when the pressure comes, garbage just shoots out. Garbage comes out. And it, what it does is it gets on other people. It, it gets around your surroundings. You can, you, your family can feel it. Your, your kids can feel it, right? You have situations in, in families where, uh, I remember when I was young and I remember hearing my, my parents fight and scream at each other. You know, I'm sure there's people listening that have had the same situation. Or maybe there's people who grew up in a perfect home. Or maybe somebody where you see a fight and they, you know, you're in the area. You don't even know the people, but all of a sudden it's like, ugh, it makes you feel gross. It makes you feel like, oh, what's going on there? I mean, now all you have to do is go on social media and they, they'll show like these crazy videos of people just fighting. I got, uh, I, I saw one last night as I was scrolling through and this couple was at McDonald's <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but somebody pulled out their phone and is recording this couple lose their minds like in the drive-thru because the person in the drive-thru <laughs> hates their life, probably gave them a bad attitude, probably said something they should have said, probably snarky, probably some young kid who doesn't have any respect. And I think either threw a cup at him, made him spill, and this, this person just had a brand new car. They get out of the car, guy's banging on the drive through window, like trying to break it with his fist, cussing, screaming, walks out, parks the car, just starts going after and yelling at the person. And, then, and the person behind the drive through is screaming and yelling back, and it escalates to this crazy fight where the guy ends up going in, throwing chair. I mean, it just goes insane. And that's a perfect example of how enemy works. The devil works because he tries to get in to these situations and he gets behind people's flesh and he pokes. And if we don't have self-control, if we don't have temperance, 
then that carnal nature, that evil, that wickedness in us will, will, will produce such, I mean, people kill each other in these situations. I saw, I saw a, another a viral video that was on some, I think it might've been on a YouTube or, or whatever, where this, this older man, this white man was, you know, I guess he had a problem with this black lady and this black lady was in his face. Get out of my face, mother, you know, just total just going off on this older man he had to be at least 20 years old than her and he's just staring at her and he's saying and she's saying you white white this and white that and and then he just you know i think he says something finally she just slaps the guy and then the guy gets mad goes back up to her and he still gets in her face and then he gives her like this you know really old man the week tries to like smack her back and then she just hauls off and slugs him again I mean, it's it's sad, but it's kind of funny at the same time because you're just watching human nature at its worst. And people don't see themselves when they're angry, when they're enraged. They don't realize how foolish and silly and how really just dumb it is. And what it produces in their life, it produces foolishness. I mean, a lot of times people go to jail, they go, you know, they get in trouble, they have to pay fines, they get sued. And if they just had temperance, if they had self-control, if they filled their life with something else, then when the pressure came, when that person gave a stinky eye, when that person maybe gives says something they shouldn't say, they realize it's not worth it. It's not worth allowing yourself to go to a place or, or even aggravating and agitating someone else to go to a place that will just complete, could destroy their future, could rob them of their future because they commit a crime. So anyways, I, I went off on a tangent, but... We see Paul, what's coming out of him is he encourages the disciples. And then he sets off to go to Macedonia. After he had gone through those districts and had encouraged the believers, he's still encouraging. He's in a place of encouragement. Instead of whining, complaining, going around talking about his woes. Poor me, I'm a victim. Paul, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. I'm just trying to do what God told me to do. And it's just so hard. And wah, wah, wah. And, and it's, people can get like this. Ministers, I've heard ministers whine and complain because offerings are low. Whine and complain because people aren't coming to their church. Whine and complain. I don't know what's going on. And where, 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 right? And instead of allowing for that pressure or that disappointment or whatever it is, they don't. They don't go to God. They don't go to the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit come in and challenge their heart, challenge these areas, and then maybe. Maybe just do the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. Instead of whining and complaining about what's not right, find some believers and encourage them. Find some people that are struggling and speak into their life and encourage them. I spent time with a young man uh, yesterday. Took him to lunch. I met him, it's probably, probably almost two and a half years ago. Fresh out of prison, came to our church. I just saw him. I felt I was like this. This kid's got a call in his life. Something's going on, and I just felt like a, a spiritual unction to go minister to this kid. And I and I went after him. It wasn't just hey, what's up? Talk to him in a moment, and then forget about him. I got his information. I called him. I began. I invited him to lunch. I began to speak into his life. Then I began to pick him up. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a job. And I began to just encourage him. Speak over his life. Speak into his life. You can do it, man. Don't focus on this. Don't look. Don't get caught up in this world that you've been living in. It's producing nothing but but death in your life. And I, I can't remember exactly why he went to jail, but he went to jail for a crime. And ultimately, uh, later on, he got a job, got a car, and he started to make strides in his life and started to move forward. 
and then uh, he had a, he fell back and ended up messing up again and ended up back in jail. And I, he got out again and I, I met with him again. And instead of just going, what did you do wrong? And beating him up, I said, come on, man, you got more in you. You can do this. God's putting choices in front of you. You can, you can choose life. You can choose the right decision and God will give you every desire of your heart because in his heart and who he is, is a great man. He has great desires. He's a good kid. He's, a, he's got a good heart. But what happens is when you fill your life with all this people, the world in situations and maybe bad examples, they feed you and then you just duplicate what you know. But when you let God and God gives you another way, he gives you another avenue by which you can, you can in a moment, choose God. In a moment where things are hard, when things are tough, when you, when you feel like going crazy, you can say, you know what, instead of going crazy, God, I invite you into this moment. And so Paul had every, every opportunity to just check out, to say, you know what, it ain't worth it. This is too hard. I'm done. I ain't living my life anymore, you know, for, uh, for God. I didn't know this is what I was going to sign up for. But no, he had something deeper and stronger on his life, on the inside of him. And it moved him and inspired him to move forward, not backwards. And moving forward for Paul was not complaining and being negative. It was encouraging others. And so when he came to Greece and he stayed three months in Greece and when a plot was formed against him by the Jews. So here we go. It's still happening. They're, they're, the devil's relentless. He's not sleeping, right? Maybe Paul's relaxing and he's taking a break. But while he's taking a break, the enemy's not sleeping. He's still planning. He's still working and conniving and, and strategizing. How can we destroy? Because he's not going to be happy until your mouth's shut. You completely give up or you're dead. When you say I'm all in for God and you go after it and you make a commitment, the devil doesn't forget. He's actually got marks on you saying, how can I destroy and take out this person? Whether you're a woman, you're, you're a man, whether you're whatever skin color you are, when you say yes to God, you know, you're, you're saying yes to the opposite kingdom of what runs this world. And the enemy does not want a believer who's on fire, bold, courageous, preaching the gospel, challenging people's religious mindset, challenging people's, uh, you know, view of Christianity or view of how they live life. He wants to shut that person down and shut them up. And Paul's not having it. He's not going to, to give up. So he's in Greece and the Jews are still plotting. And as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristocharis. I'm probably saying these wrong, these names, because they're just hard. And Secundus. <laughs> it's like, jeez. Like, why don't people find that Bible name, right? Like, what do you want to name your kid? I don't know, just this, this word in the Bible, this name in the Bible just stuck out to me. They find other names, but why not Aristocharis and Secundus? And, of, and they were of the Thessalonians. And by Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychius and Trophimus of Asia. These men went on ahead and were waiting for us, including Luke at Troas. We sailed for, from, Philippi, from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, Passover week, and 
Within five days, we reached them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, when we were gathered together to break bread, share communion, Paul began talking with them, intending to leave the next day, and he kept on with his message until midnight. Here we see again the example of how these believers lived. They were constantly moving. They were constantly about, like they had an assignment. They had a purpose for why they were alive. And Paul had such a purpose on his life that it attracted other men around him to want to be around him, to follow him, to have that same passion, to have that same excitement. You know, a lot of churches struggle with, um, you know, with growing or, or, or with, with new growth or whatever it is because their their leaders have basically fallen to sleep. They've fallen into a stupor. Because let me tell you, when you get around men who are on fire and they carry something, they carry a mission, they carry an assignment, there's an excitement to their life. You see a sacrifice in their life. You see a, I'm here, I'm giving all for God. It attracts other people because we're all built with this desire to want to live for something, to have purpose, to leave an impact, to be significant in life. And to be significant is not just hanging out, you know, and just kind of playing it safe. It's moving. It's it's having and it's knowing your assignment. And if you don't know your assignment, get around somebody who does know their assignment and follow them and, and learn from them and, and until you hear God give you yours, until you hear what God has for you. Get around people who know their assignment. Don't get around people who have, you know, slapped off from their assignment, who are hanging out, who aren't really going after anymore who are on vacation, like a prolonged vacation, right? A, a sabbatical, and, and they never come back from it because they got so comfortable just hanging out. And you get around people hanging out, and the next thing you know, you'll just be hanging out. You need to get around people who have purpose and who have a passion to accomplish something in their life. And you want to be a better father? Get around people who have a passion to be fathers. Get around people... Uh, you want to be a better mother? Get around women who love to be mothers and have a passion for motherhood. You want to be a, 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 great, a better pastor? Get around pastors who are passionate about pastoring. You want to be a better whatever job you have, lawyer, doctor, salesman, blue-collar worker, white-collar worker. Get around people who are excited and passionate for the, about their job, who are thankful for what they have. Don't get around mopey, complaining, just getting it done, just clocking in, clocking out just you know just going through the motions because the next thing you know that'll be your life and you'll be miserable for it so try to find the people who are excited find the people who want to be where they're at and if you can't find them then try your best to be that person for other people because you can awaken people to purpose you can awaken people to destiny you can awaken people to their future to, to put their eyes that there's more to life than just getting by. There's more to life than just hanging out. There's more to life than just passing through, right? We're here for purpose and on purpose. And that was Paul's stance. That was his posture. And he gathered all these young men and all these people around him. And then he was on assignment. Now, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, share communion, Paul began talking with us. And he's preaching until midnight. He's speaking they're not like, please, man, shut up. We, we want to go eat. Please shut up. We, we got to go play golf. Come on. When are we going to go do something fun? You know, hey, I'm go the preaching's over. Let's go stuff our faces with fried chicken. You know, 
Hey, hey, when's the next place we're going to eat? How, how can we feed our flesh again? How about getting together and just going after it in prayer for an hour? How about finding some men and going after it and praying for a city? How about find some men and, and go and f find some young men and, and lay hands on them and prophesy and speak life and destiny and future over them? These are the things that are that are spiritual, that, that actually retain weight, that will carry people through hard times. Another cheeseburger, another meal isn't going to carry somebody through their depression, their, their struggle, their, their fear about the future. What will carry them through is on fire, passionate, all in believers who are infatuated and obsessed about their God. It's not just a, a token they wear. It's not just an, it's not just an office they hold, but it it's their being. It's who they are. And it gets on other people. It attracts other people to it. He's preaching until midnight and they're all there listening. Now, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were. And there was a young man named you just you you I can't say this name. Yuti Chess? I don't know. It's E-U-T-Y-C-H-U-S. So we'll just say you Chess. Sitting on the windowsill, he was sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking longer and longer, <laughs> he was completely overcome by sleep and fell down from the third story. And he was picked up dead. So he's sitting in a window listening to Paul and he's preaching so long. This guy's probably had too much, too many cheeseburgers, maybe ate too much turkey. And instead of being there for the, <laughs> for the word, he's there for the food. And so he, it's hard for him to stay awake because he's full and stuffed. Now, I'm just kidding here, but who knows? But he ends up falling asleep, falls into his death. And, here, and this is how awesome this story is, okay? And I'm sure some of us have heard this before, but... Paul doesn't miss a beat, right? He, but Paul went down. Paul immediately when it happens, goes down and throws himself on him and embraces him and said to those standing around him, do not be troubled because he is alive. And when Paul had gone back upstairs and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked informally and confidently with them for a long time until daybreak. In fact, and then he left. They took the boy home alive and were greatly comforted and encouraged. So Paul's just preaching. He's got, you know, a sleepy kid in his, in his church, falls and dies, goes down, raises the dead, goes back, continues to preach, continues to teach. And everybody's just full. They're not full of food. They're not full of carnality. They're full of God. They're full of wisdom. They're full of, of Paul passing on. What, what's in him through the spirit. You know, some people, when you get around them and they talk about God, this is how you know people who are, and I'm not talking about boring preachers, okay? There's a difference between a boring preacher and a preacher who is engaging, okay? And, and when I say preacher, I mean teacher. Any Anybody who talks about the things of God and is excited and has a passion. When you're around people who are spiritually dull, they tend to like start 
going to sleep. They tend, you, you can see it on their face or they get irritated or they start getting impatient. They don't want to listen. They want to, they want to get out of the room. They want to go, uh, you know, I'm done. It's over. I've had enough. Oh, right. Because their flesh or whatever's going on starts squirming because they're not used to being with God. They're not used to just spending time with God that long. Their flesh starts to squirm. You get around people who are passionate and hungry, they'll sit there all night. They'll sit there all night with their eyes open and their ears attentive, with their notepad, with 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 an open heart, open mouth, open eyes, whatever, just listening and, and taking in and digesting. You know, there's something about like for me, like if I go to church or service or, you know, if, even if it's like a weekly, you know, conference or revival service, if I eat a bunch of food, because a lot of people do this, they'll, they'll go eat and then they'll go to the conference. And I feel like, you know, it's so weird because it's like we're going to eat. This is feeding our spirit. But if you feed your flesh first, it's almost like it can bring over like a like a stupor, like a I'm tired or like like you just start feeling. And this is for me. Maybe this is not for everybody, but this is what happens to me. If I go eat a big meal and then go to a conference, I find that I don't get everything God has for me. I find like I can find myself kind of really even sometimes even trying to stay awake because my body's put into this place of like working on digesting this food instead of my spirit awakened and, and working on digesting spiritual food. So my, my flesh is in control instead of my spirit. But if I fast and I don't eat, right, I, I say no to the food because really this is what it's about, right? I don't need another meal. Some people can go without meals. Some could go without a few meals, right? Especially in America. And most ministers, most you know, older men, and I'm not, you know, some fit and proper guy, but most of them have bellies that go over their, that they hang off the, almost to the floor. And there's a reason for that. Okay. It's not because they're spiritual. It's because they're eating probably too much. Actually, they are eating too much and their, their stomachs are more, uh, what they're taking care of than their spirit. So they're big and they're plump instead of you know, their spirit man being plump and big. And I know that might make some people mad or make get offended at what I'm saying, but it's the truth, okay? You can feed your spirit or you can feed your flesh and you can get results. You feed your flesh, you're gonna get fat. And uh, we need to feed our spirit. And when we go to a service or when we go to be with God, even a prayer room, anything, it's like, I want I want to be empty of, of what's, natural. I don't want, I don't want to walk into it with a full stomach or, you know, having, having eaten a bunch of food. I want to walk in there with a hunger naturally and spiritually. And I find when I do that, I'm more attentive. I'm more awake to take in what God has for me. I'm more sensitive to him, more sensitive to his voice. That's what fasting and prayer does as well. So let's move on. But we went on ahead to the ship and set sail for Azos, intending to take Paul on board there, for that was what he had arranged, intending himself to go a shorter route by land. So when he met us at Azos, we took him on board and sailed to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the next day at point opposite Chios. The following day, we crossed over to Samos, and the next day we arrived at Miletius, about 30 miles south of Ephesus. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus so that he would not end up spending time unnecessarily in the province of Asia, modern Turkey. 
for he was in a hurry to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So Paul had a, a plan to get to, to Jerusalem so he could be there on the day of Pentecost. Probably to celebrate, probably to have a Holy Ghost revival blowout. To just be with God, to just spend time with believers, to, to preach, to, to whatever he could do. This guy was just lit. He, his whole life was about Jesus. His whole life was consumed and was about God. However, from Miletus, he sent word to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church to meet him there. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know well how I lived when I was with you from the first day that I set foot in Asia until now, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials which came on me because of the plots of the Jews against me. I like how he's telling them, reminding them, look, you know how I lived. You you saw how I lived. You know how I was. I do, I do find it kind of funny how, um, I don't know, I think it's funny when somebody like references their humility. <laughs> and for the purpose of this story, I think Paul's just, you know, maybe it's it needs to be there. But for me, it's like, like me going to my, you know how I've just, you know, humbly been just such a great father, <laughs> such a great husband, humbly just serving you. You know, it's almost like not humble to say that, right? You, somebody else should say that about you, right? Somebody else should say, hey, man, he's just humble. He's got a humble heart. He's a humble guy. And humility to me is not some sort of like disposition. You don't, it's not something you wear um, like, like a, like, you know, like a garment, but yet underneath there's all this pride. Even though we're supposed to clothe ourselves in humility, it's, it's not something that it shouldn't be like a facade, right? Like a facade is, is, is fake. It's not real. It's, it's portrayed as humble, but reality is there's, there's pride underneath. So humility to me is like, how do you respond in this, in a certain situation? You know, if somebody's screaming and yelling at you, humility is to not scream back, right? If somebody, uh, steals your parking spot because you're about to turn in and they turn in before you and take your spot humility is letting them have the spot and moving on right humility is blessing those who curse you loving your enemies that's humility humility is when somebody says you're stupid and then you keep your mouth shut and you say they're great or you open your mouth you say they're wonderful or you don't say anything back you don't you don't revile back that's humbling yourself when somebody does something wrong to you and you want to punch them in the face, but instead you don't and you humble yourself. And I think a lot of people uh, take somebody who is confident or who is strong in what they say. There's a minister that I listen to and I actually, you know, he's a younger guy and, you know, he's he's not polished. That's what I love. He's not trying to fake it. He's just who he is. But he says things pretty strong and sometimes he's <laughs> he can be a... Uh, you know, I don't know. He he likes to razz people. Kind of reminds me of Rodney a little bit, because Rodney Howard Brown, another minister I, I like to follow. You know, but I see um, the passion in his heart for God, but the humility there is not put on. It's not something. So yeah, sometimes he comes off a little arrogant, a little proud, but it's not to be mistaken as you know, like some evil, like horrible person. He's just young or 
or like sometimes it's just confidence it's just boldness it's just him saying what he feels but real humility comes when when that person's challenged and then they can't humble themselves they have to like you know i don't know like say something back or be rude and it's it's taking the lower lower place right it's sitting like the bible talks about in proverbs it's taking the seat that's the lowest seat instead of going and sitting at the highest seat and proverbs says don't sit at the highest seat lest somebody come and tell you excuse me that's not your seat sit you're gonna have to sit down here but instead sit in the lower seat and then have somebody come and move you to the front we had that happen to us at a conference when we were at a marriage conference and me and my wife in California, and we were sitting kind of in the back, and we knew the um, pastors, not real well, but kind of knew knew them, and our son went to their school, but they had seen us, and they invited us, hey, come sit in the front, and they put us right on the front row, um, close, you know, just right in the front, and I felt like, what if we just went up to those seats and just sat there, like, that, that, that was where we belonged, you know, that's kind of proud, right, like, this is my spot, or I, I belong up here, but instead you sit in the back. Uh, another example I have is I was working for this ministry in Florida and there was this couple that was like, they're a good couple, great hearts givers, but there's just like this undertone of like pride and control. Right. And uh, the pastor was away. And I just remember feeling like, you know, he had a certain seat in a chair that he would sit in all the time. It was his chair. And I remember feeling like anytime I was in the room and he was in the room, I was like, I'm not going to sit in his chair. That's not my place. Right. Like, like almost like a spiritual thing. Maybe it's silly to think that way, but I'm like, even if I'm sitting here and there's people here and we're having a meeting, I'm not going to, if I was to sit down, I'm going to sit in a different chair and that seat's going to remain empty because he's not in the room. So I sit over here and that seat remains empty because that's his seat. Well, this girl would like when she, it was like something happened or whatever, but she came and she was told to do something. Well, she sits in a seat. It was almost like she was taking this kind of like prideful place. It, it, I don't know. Maybe I, I read it wrong, but it just it kind of bothered me. And I was like, oh, because you just see something on somebody of like, I want position. I want power. I want this seat. I want to be in this place. And it's mine, you know, and it's like, I don't feel you're supposed to take things like that. I feel like they're supposed to be given to you, right? We can we can be violent about the kingdom of God and take territory away from the devil, but when it's about like authority and stuff like that, we're not here to usurp and take people's place or push them out of the position and be be like the devil, right? That's what the devil did. He sought God's position. He wanted to sit in God's seat. And he got cast down because of it. So in my heart it's like you don't you don't want those thoughts or those intentions or that type of attitude you want an attitude of this is my seat here at the lowly place and god if you want to put me in a higher place then you can do it and i'm not and i'm not trying to play a political game or earn it or try to get people to you know like you have to play some game for people to oh here let us give you the seat no it's just something god can do in our lives we don't have to try to manipulate connive or even try to play a game with somebody to get what we want. Either what God has for us is for us, or it's not. So <clears throat> let's move on. So he says, how you know that 
serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials, which came on me because of the plots of the Jews. You know how I did not shrink back in fear from telling you anything that, see, so here we go. He's, he's talking about humility, but then he says, how I did not shrink back in fear from speaking to you anything that was for your benefit or from teaching you in public meetings and from house to house solemnly and wholeheartedly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, urging them to turn in repentance to God and to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And now, compelled by the Spirit and obligated by my convictions, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly and emphatically affirms to me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering await me. But I do not consider my life as something of value or dear to me, that so that I may with joy finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify faithfully of the good news of God's precious undeserved grace, which makes us free from the guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. Gosh, man, the word of God is so awesome. There's just so much weight there. And I like this part right here. I'm going to go back and read it. Except the Holy Spirit solemnly and emphatically affirms to me in city after city, that imprisonment and suffering await me. Okay? He's not saying in sickness and disease and poverty and uh, this is your lot in life because you serve God. You're going to have to, it's going to suck for you because, no, the imprisonment and suffering await him because of people who are wicked. People who are wicked. Not a God who's wicked, but people. Okay? People with wicked hearts persecuting, bringing suffering, bring, and this is something I heard the other day that really kind of bugged me. This guy was up there preaching about suffering and, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, we have to suffer like Jesus did. And it's a sacrifice to serve God. And you got to sacrifice and we're not teaching people how to sacrifice, which there's truth to this, right? To be a Christian, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice, not of your health, not of your, not of your, um, not all the things that God has promised you, right? God's not saying, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna have to be poor and broke and busted your whole life because of me. No, what he's saying is you're gonna suffer because you pursue and go after what I've called you to do. And it's gonna be people who bring the persecution, right? The devil really bringing it through people, but it's gonna be hearts that are turned away from God bringing persecution. And sometimes it's people who, love God, but don't know any better, right? They, 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 they're just being used because they have the wrong view or they're just twisted in, in their uh, viewpoint of you. But he was talking about sacrifice. And, you know, Jesus said that I came to give you life and to give it to you, what, more abundantly. He said, and this is a scripture he used, he who lays down his life will find it. He who loses his life shall find it, right? But he who keeps his life will lose it. And the dynamic of that losing your life to find it is what did Jesus say? He taught, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. So the life that you lose and gain is a life of abundance. So you can't teach somebody when they lie down their life, it's going to suck and be miserable when God's saying he's coming to be and he's giving you an abundant life. Abundance of joy, abundance of hope, abundance of peace, abundance of of. Whatever it is you need, God can provide for you. He's a provider. He's, a, he's one who blesses. 
doesn't mean you don't go through hard times. Maybe you go through hard time financially, but it's not so that you stay there. You take a vow of poverty and you want to then walk around like you're some kind of spiritual person because you're broke and can't help anybody. Can't be a, bl- a blessing to people. That's nonsense. Okay, now some, if the world comes, robs you, puts you up on a cross and takes all your belongings, that's the suffering. That's something that is persecution. That's not God. That's a price you're paying for him. And he allows us to pay those prices. But when we're living our life and, you know, God promises blessing, he's not promising you blessing and cursing. He's, he's promising you blessing. And when you it even says in the Bible uh, where he talks about another scripture, and this is all just coming to me. It's not right in front of me, but he's talking about um, if you love father or mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you if you love son or daughter, you know, mother-in-law, father-in-law, whatever, if you love these people more than me, he who does not hate his life, right? Take up your cross. Hate, hate what's of the world. Hate what's of the, of what, what the world teaches, the carnality and, and the system of the world. And is not worthy of me. But he says, he who basically lays down these things, gives up house, gives up home, gives up uh, the, the, the wealth and all the, the riches and all the stuff that they feel like the world wants to offer them. Okay? And I'm not talking about God blessing you. I'm talking about you trying to get it in your own strength. You getting it and that becomes your motive. That's, it's not seek first you know, your kingdom and all these things shall be added. It's seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the, his purposes and plan and what he has for your life. And all these things shall be added unto you. And he says people who this will reap 30, 60, 100 fold in this life. Meaning you gave up house, you gave up friends, you gave up family. I'll give you back. Just like with Job. He went through all the, the trouble, but God gave him back. God blessed him double, right? You hear T.D. Jakes? God gave him double for all his trouble. So that's the God we serve. He's a good God. And when you teach people this religious, almost denominational view of suffering, because you have men of God who <clears throat> went through hard times and had to go through some hard things and then blame God and change their doctrine, change the way they view God, and then teach people nonsense. Instead of teaching them, no, the enemy has come what? To steal, kill, and destroy. The devil is the one who comes He's the thief in the night. He's the thief. He's the one that wants to destroy your marriage. He's the one that wants to steal your business. He's the one that wants to destroy your life through sin. And sin brings suffering. And disobedience brings suffering and pain and, and curse. Okay? It doesn't Obedience and giving your life to God brings life of his presence, of his goodness, of his peace, of his mercy. He's awesome. You cannot try to mix the devil doing and what God's doing together and somehow have this twisted wrong view and religious version of, of, of the gospel and God and think you're going to produce anything. You're going to have a dead church. You're going to have dead people. You're going to have people not producing any fruit because you're teaching them garbage. So Paul was about it. Paul was all about going after um, the things of God and that was going to cost him. He was in it like Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm going all the way because I don't care if I disrupt the system. I don't care if I go into the highest place and tell him Jesus is real. And he says it right here. He says, I don't consider my life as something of value or dear to me so that I may with joy finish my course 
and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, what? To testify faithfully of the good news of God's precious undeserved grace, which makes us free of the guilt of sin and grants us eternal life. So we have, this is his mission. He says, I will take this to the highest place, even if it costs me my life. And that's that's the Holy Spirit. That's what what the Holy Spirit produces in us. We don't. We can't produce that. We don't come to God and then all of a sudden in our flesh and carnal nature, we're gonna sacrifice and give our life to the Lord. You know, we have to lay down our life. We have to surrender to the Holy Spirit and let him in. But when we do, and we, we invite him in, he produces these type of groanings and passions and hungers and desires to say, I don't care, whip me, stone me, beat me. I don't care. I'm going all the way. I'm not giving up. I'm laying it all down for you, Lord, even if it costs me my life. And Paul had a, a vision and knew he w- it was going to cost him. He knew he was going to die. And now listen carefully. I know that none of you among whom I s- went about preaching the kingdom will see me again. For that reason, I testify to you on this our parting day that I am innocent of the blood of all people for I did not shrink from this is what's amazing too I mean if you just right here verse 26 and 27 like just take this and preach it to your church just let them live in this place for a second Paul saying for this reason for that reason the reason that we just read I testify to you on our parting day that I am innocent of the blood of all people why because I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan of God. So he's saying, I'm innocent of, of anybody's blood, anybody going to hell, anybody not being able to. He He's confident that there, he didn't miss a beat. Why? Because he didn't shrink back. He was not fearful. He did not walk by people on the street and ignore them and ignore people around him, never tell them about God, never have a passion to share his faith. That people are walking around thinking that God just doesn't care if they open their mouth and tell them about Jesus that there's going to be blood on their hands. He's, Paul's saying, I don't have any blood on my hands. Their blood is not on, uh, I'm innocent of the blood of all people, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan of God. Take care and be on guard for yourself and for the whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd, tend, feed, guide the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And now that after I'm gone, false teachers ferocious wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock because they don't care about people they're not really in in into the development the feeding and guiding and seeing them uh here it is right here here, here's the key right what's he saying he's saying uh for i did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan of god the purpose and plan of god for the people that are your that are under you right that are your sheep that you would that you would impart to them and equip them and, and make them responsible to God for what God has for their life. That they're to be a vessel of ministry. They're to be a vessel of, of being used by God for his purposes. That there's an accountability. Anybody who, who is a leader within the body of Christ, there's an accountability factor. There's a blood factor that will weigh on them if they take it lightly. If they just let people come and go and never require of them and never demand out of them to, to go all in for God. And that's what Paul did. Paul was an all-in guy. He taught for hours. He would he would invest in people for hours and 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 challenge them. But he said there's going to be come that come in like like ferocious wolves, and they don't care about people. They just care about their comfort. They care about their paychecks. 
They care about their position and holding it and keeping it. They care about their 401k and their plans of how am I going to be comfortable in my old, old age? How am I going to be able to go uh, be cool and hang out with all the other cool people and, and, and play it easy while Susie's over here uh, completely disconnected from God who was on fire for God but no longer used to go to my church but now is off in the world and I don't care less and I blame her while I'm uh, you know off, I don't know, hitting a nine golf or 18 holes of golf playing with her with her not even on my mind these are wolves these are they're men they don't care about people they don't care about their destiny they don't care about their callings all they care about is their how their ministry and their lifestyle has been a comfortable one you know most pastors you meet they don't live they're not working hard their lives aren't hard work you want to know what hard work is it's it doing a roof it's digging a ditch. It's being in the sun, sweating the work of your brow, right? Laboring, clocking in and clocking out and just being faithful in a job. That's hard work, like, right? Pastoring can be hard work, but most of these guys, they're living for comfort. They're living for like the next chill moment. This is, this is what I, <laughs> I've witnessed with my own eyes. You have ministers who think preparing a sermon is work. Preparing a sermon should be like a passion and excitement. It should be a cherry on the top because you love the word of God. In fact, you should be a sermon walking around. You should have sermons in this living within you. You don't have to have books that you have created and this is your job and you're now a book writer and you're writing novels and you know self-help books. I mean, that's great and you're selling them and, and you're making money off it and whatever. I'm not gonna sit here and judge people that do that. That's great. But if that's what you consider work, then the real work is getting involved with people. It's getting involved in their life. It's getting in the mud with them. It's seeing where they're at, where they're broken, and it's allowing God to use you to infiltrate where the devil's working in people's lives and breaking off bondage, breaking off chains, destroying things that hold them back, going and exposing the work of the enemy, and then seeing that person move forward, move on into greater heights to achieve greater things. It's taking a young man who's fresh out of prison and going in and, and investing in him, right? And then making sure your hands are clean of any responsibility, making sure you share everything that you can with that person and allowing not just comfort and just patting them on the back and pampering them. and Oh, I don't want to offend them, right? Like this is what we think ministry is. No, sometimes you're going to say hard things. Sometimes you're going to say things in love and you're going to challenge your stinking thinking. And you're gonna tear down strongholds of how they think about life and how they view their life. And you're gonna tear it down, but at the same time, you're gonna replace it with encouragement. You're gonna replace it with, no, you're good enough. You're great. You're what, you're, you're, you have what it takes. Don't look at your failures. Don't look at your past. God has a plan for your future. God has put it quit. He, he, he's called you to greater things. When you, when you see ministers that are more invested in just hanging out and having a good time and playing church, than actually getting involved in the in the people's lives and training other ministers, other pastors, lay pastors, associates, whatever you want to call them, that they have a group that they're invested in that. They're better off for that person being in their life. They're more mature. They're 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 doing more ministry. They've grabbed the hold of their purpose, of their assignment. They're equipped for the work of the ministry. This is the purpose of the church. It's not so that some guy can have a career and live comfortable 
and just play it safe and, and sit in his office and take naps while nobody's looking. I mean, unbelievable. I'm sorry, but I'm just, this is, to me, it's my truth, okay? And I believe it comes from God's word. I don't think I'm just speaking out of my soul. I've seen it. I've seen the fruit of it. I've seen ministers hang out in church and they're, they have dead people doing nothing for God. And they're receiving fat paychecks to do nothing. And God forbid they get to the end of their life in their ministry and God hold the blood of those people on their hands and then just be flimping about it like it's no big deal. God's grace covers me. No, you need a good shaking. You need a good awakening in your heart and your life to know why you're living and why you're alive. There's more to it than, than just living for comfort. Therefore, be continually alert, remembering that for three years, night and day, night or day, I did not stop admonishing and advising each of you with tears. This is how, Pat, I mean, the guy's talking about crying. He's so impassionate, so excited and, and just invested in them that he's speaking to them and there's emotions coming out of him while he's admonishing them and giving them advice speaking into their life and now i commend you to god placing you in his hands and i commend you to the word of his grace the counsel and promise of his unmerited favor his grace is able to build you up and give you the rightful inheritance among all those who are sanctified that is among those who are set apart for god's purpose all believers i had no desire for anyone's silver or gold or expensive clothes you know personally that that'll that'll hair lip some of those those faith preachers right i had no desire for anyone's silver or gold or expensive clothes you know personally that these hands ministered to my own needs working manual labor into those of the people who were with me and everything i showed you by example that by working hard in this way you must help the weak and remember the words of the lord jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed and brings greater joy to give than to receive. You want to know, like, this is why some of the uh, prosperity preachers, I, I have respect for them, because they're givers. They actually do what they preach. They're not just up there telling people to give and they don't give. So when you get around people, men of God, who are givers and they're literally giving into people's lives and they're blessed for it, I have no problem. I'm like, that's awesome. I want to be more giving. I want to be able to give in that way. But the goal isn't so that I can have fine clothes and silver. You know, I, I like wearing fine clothes. I want that. But it's not, it's not before the soul. It's not before the individual. If I got nice stuff and a bunch of people in my church who are weak in faith and weak in, in, in their relationship with God, then something's wrong with what I'm teaching. They have a lot of nice clothes, but none of them open their mouth to, to tell people that about God and to share their faith and something is off. And going around telling people about how God wants to give you all this money instead of saying, no, God, God wants to give you an assignment. He wants to give you a purpose for a living. He wants to give you more than just money. He wants to give you something that's more worth more than silver or gold or fine clothes. He wants to give you uh, the Holy Spirit. He wants to give you fire. He wants to give you uh, a desire to see a, a city changed and a, a neighborhood, your family come to Jesus, your family be radical and set on fire for the things and the purposes of God on the earth. Not in heaven, 
not one day when I get to heaven, but here on the earth. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep openly and threw their arms around Paul's neck and repeatedly kissed him, grieving and distressed, especially over the word which he had spoken because he literally told him he's going to die. This is the last time I'm going to see you because God had revealed it to him. I mean, it's kind of like Jesus. He knew Jesus knew he was he his time was up. He was going to die. And Paul knew it. He's like, I'm this is what I've been called to do, to take it all the way. I'm going to go to the highest height I can go, the highest political office, the highest realm of where I can take the message on this earth. What God allows me, I'm taking it. But you know what? It's going to cost me my life. And I'm willing and I'm ready. Let's go. So grieving and distress, especially over the words which he had spoken, that they would not see him again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And we're going to stop there. You know, this is what, this is the type of message that irritates and bothers religious minds. It actually embitters them. It, it, they end up hating you because you speak from a place and people can say, oh, you're arrogant, you're proud, you think you know it all. It's like, this is for my life, okay? This is for me as well. This is the type of ministry and, and message I thrive on because it, it causes me to realize the higher reality of God's kingdom and God's reality. I didn't give my life to some club, to some Christian club, some some like so I can be accepted among among people who are doing nothing for God. I I want to be accepted among people who are on fire, who are passionate, who challenge me, who come into my life, who knock on my door, who call on me and say, "Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? What how have you been?" Let's get together and speak into my life and poke in the places in my life where there's where, where they could sense or see the enemy working and speak into it. Not hide. Not play a game. Not play a religious game with me. This is what people need. They need sincere shepherds, sincere believers. It's not a job. It's not a career. It's a passion of their heart. For the betterment of the future of the individual that they're speaking to, that they're equipping them, not with their with what they want or what they think, but what, what God is speaking and what God is saying. This is what God has for you. Do you know it? This you're a new creation in Christ. Do you know it? You're you're not you're not called to live your life the rest of your days in prison. You're called to serve the Lord. You're called to, to reap a harvest. You're called to go out and seek and save that which is lost. It's your destiny. It's, it's a commandment from the Lord. It's the great commission he's given you and I. And I want to equip you with it. I want to show you how it's done. I want to show you by my life. You get around some ministers, they show you by their life how to freaking eat. They show you by their life how to play and have fun and do nothing for God. They show you by their life how to be religious, how to be how to be scared to speak to people because they're going to lose them in their church. They're going to offend them. They're going to leave. They're going to take their money. And then they might not have any money, how they're going to disrupt their board and their board's going to want to fire them. And then they, well, my career's gone. If they have to please an entire political system so that they can stay in the system. It's like, God, help us. God, save us, change us, empower us. We need your fire. We need the truth of who you are to be alive on this earth so that it shuts down the work of the devil. It shuts down 
the enemy's work in people's lives. So many people who are, who are broken, who have chains around their neck, who need Jesus, and we're the answer. We shouldn't go six months, a year, two years, without having a testimony of how somebody's life was radically impacted and changed by us being in it. Every believer, not just ministers, not just five-fold ministers who pat themselves on the back because they're in ministry. I'm in ministry. I've I've been around people who hold their position like they're some kind of God. They're not. You're not God because you sit in an office with a computer. You're like God when you go out into the world and you see broken people healed and delivered and discipled and set on course for destiny with God, for a future in heaven and a revival in their environment, a complete change of their atmosphere because of who they become. That's ministry. Not a building, not a comfortable chair, not a cool picture on the wall and a nice label that says I'm pastor whatever on the wall. God, I want the true. I want the real. I want the authentic. And there's a generation out there right now who knows the difference and they're not going to settle for it. In fact, they'll, they'll go after a, a, a LGBTQ agenda and, and, and sell their life and want to die for it instead of come what to the church because of a religious dead system. But the radical ones, the ones that are passionate, you'll see an entire generation on fire. You'll see kids run to the altars. You'll see LGBT people on their face weeping and crying and groaning under the power and the hand of God. Why? Because of the move of God. Not because of some fancy guy who's got degrees. He's a doctor. I know theology. We need radical, just fishermen, just plain old people who are full of God. We're full of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Bless every listener. Stir it up in their heart. God, I pray that every offense, everything that would be an offense in their heart would be broken and would become a worship to you, Lord. That no offense would take hold. No, no, nothing that they would hear would cause them to get angry and grind their teeth. But God, that they would say, God, I need you. I need more of you. I want more of you. I need it, Lord. Because I want my life to be an all-consuming fire like you are. And I want people to know you and sense you and encounter you. I I don't want just dead religion. I can't have it. I, I can't even function in it. I need true blue Holy Ghost. People who love you with all their heart and are all in for the right reasons. In Jesus' name. Amen.